All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter number 9. Second Kings chapter number nine. Y'all know about Elisha, Elijah, and Elisha, don't you? How many of you do? It's all right, you don't have to admit it. But they sound alike. One is with a J and the other is with a SH. But they they are kind of related in the sense that Elisha followed Elijah for a number of years. The only thing he was known for was pouring the water over the hands of Elijah. He was a prophet that uh, was called. Okay, it's a base out there. I thought I was getting a funky ear again. Um, so... God used Elijah to call Elisha, and he followed him, and he stayed close to him. And when they got toward the end, they knew that God was going to take up Elijah. And Elijah, he didn't encourage Elisha to follow him. He just told him to stay here. And Elisha said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And he followed him wherever he went. And he stuck with him. And then we get to chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 9. And after following him, well, let's see, look, look at, uh, look at, yeah, we'll just read 1 through 3, give the background. It said, and it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. He refused to leave him. He stayed with him, stayed by his side. And verse number three, And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. In other words, yeah, I know. Just be quiet. Because he was going to stay with Elijah no matter what. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Keep in mind, this is the introduction, okay? And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry here. He said, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee. And they went on. You know, a lot of times we just give up or we just, well, he told me to stay here. Elisha wouldn't have any of it. He was there to be with Elijah, to follow him, to take care of him. Verse number seven, and 50 men of the sons of prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood by Jordan. Verse number eight, and Elijah took his mantle and, and wrapped it together and smote the waters. That was the cloak he was wearing. And they were divided hither and thither so that they went, so that they too went over on the dry ground. 
So he swatched the ground and the river Jordan part so that he could walk across. And then verse number nine, and this is the part that I actually had in my, for my introduction, says, and it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now, this is ambitious because when you know the life of Elijah and you know the miracles that were performed by Elijah, the rain being stayed, the, the, uh, someone raised from the dead, you know, calling down fire from God. And uh, he said, verse number 10, and he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Now, keep in mind, we're not going to talk a lot about Elisha this morning because I want to show you Elijah, and it's related. He said, but if not, it should not be so. He said, if you see God take me up into heaven, if God permits you to see it, then God will have granted you that double portion. But if not, then it's not going to be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, went right between the middle of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Verse number 12, and Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. This was a hard time for him because he'd been following Elisha all these years and he sees him go up into heaven. He doesn't watch him pass away. He watches him carried up into heaven, but nonetheless, he knows he's not going to see him again. So he's mourning for Elijah. And he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. In verse 13, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the river Jordan, of Jordan. All right, now verse 14. This is, this is our key here that we're going to look at. Because Elijah takes that mantle, and he knows that he's seen, Elisha takes that mantle, and he knows that he's seen Elijah carried up, and he knows the promise that he was given when he requested a double portion. Let me tell you something. Something I learned from Dr. Peacock, from listening to him preach, and from, from the lessons that I've seen and that I've learned. When you see a good preacher, you see a good fellow Christian, you see how they follow the Lord, and you see how when they pray, God answers their prayers. Let me tell you something. You look at them and you say, man, I want to be like that. A young preacher sits down there in the pews and he looks up at the preacher and he says, man, I want to be able to preach like that. I remember sitting in Georgia, and I remember seeing Brother Joe Arthur. Y'all heard me talk about him before, but Brother Joe Arthur, some of these sermons you just never forget. I'm pretty sure they got to repeat them over and over because they, they would travel from church to church, you know, and the Internet wasn't as prevalent back then. I mean, it was still there, but, you know, it wasn't like sermon audio where it's like, oh, he preached this one here and here and here, you know. But the end result was you got a sermon that was just, I mean, what was it, brother? Jerry Clower, you say? He really shucked the corn. One of those Georgia sands, one of those southern sands. 
it would really shuck the corn, you know, beat the corn out of the wheat. I don't know. But just get up there, and, man, you, you, it just spoke to you. I remember looking up at Brother Joe Arthur. I remember seeing Brother Grady preach. I said, man, I would like to have God on me like he's on Brother Grady. He said, I asked for a double portion of what you got. And you know when Elijah said you asked for a hard thing, you know what he's saying? He's not saying that's too hard for God to give you a double portion. You know what Elijah's saying? He's saying you're asking for a hard thing. Because I tell you, when you look at that Christian that prays to the Lord and the prayer is answered, when you, when you see someone walking that close to the Lord, what you don't see are the struggles they went through. What you don't see are the times that they were in the valley and they had to look up. Because those are the times that it make you turn around and it make you look up to the Lord and make you want to, Lord, I want to follow you. This doesn't work on my own path. I want to follow you. That's what draws you close to the Lord. That's what brings it out of a good preacher. Because he's lived something and he's seen something and he's seen God work. And when he looks in the Bible, he doesn't just see words. I see so many preachers that get up and they'll give you the Greek and they'll give you the Hebrew and they'll tell you this and that and what this really means is this and what this really means is that. And I'll see them preach a whole sermon telling me about what everything means and what kind of shoes Paul wore as he walked on the road to Damascus. And then there's the other preacher that'll tell you what was happening when Paul was on the road to Damascus, when he was struck blind and when all he could see was Jesus. That's the preachers that hit home because they've been on that road to Damascus. They've been up under that juniper tree or they've been in that place. And it's the same with Christians that you look at. It's the same with, with an aunt or an uncle that you've seen that walk close to the Lord. They've been through those times and they've seen it. So when you, he says, you're asking a hard thing, he says, you know, you're not just asking for the power. You're asking for the place that got you that power up under the juniper tree. So he says, I don't know how I got here. Hang on a sec. All right. And it came to pass, he saw, so he saw the chariot of fire, and we get to verse number 14, and he's about to test it. He's about to find out, did I get the same power that Elijah got? And it's not for greed, it's not for personal gain, but he wants to serve the Lord. And he takes that mantle, verse 14, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters. And he said, I want you to pay attention to this verse. I don't care what it says in your Bible. Pay attention to this verse I'm about to read. He says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elijah went over. Now there's more to go further there, but we're going to stop right there. And I want you to turn back in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter number 19. My question for you today, where is the Lord God of Elijah? You know, I don't get political up here because I, I, I know people hold different views. 
but regardless of where you stand politically, if you've paid any attention at all to this world, we're in trouble. I mean, you don't have to be on one side of the aisle or other. Matter of fact, I, I've since I've thrown both sides of the aisle overboard. I realize they're all against us. And you say, well, preacher, hey, it don't matter. When we look at interest rates, when we put gas in the tank, when you hear about food processing plants burning, when you hear about cattle dying, when you hear about chickens getting killed, when you go to the store, you pay $9 one week and you pay $4 the next week. We look back, I look back and I say, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Because Elisha followed Elijah all that time and he saw how close Elijah was to God. And he said, that's not good enough. I want, I want the power of the Lord God of Elijah. I want that power for myself. But you know, Elijah did a lot for the Lord. In chapter number 18 of 1 Kings, and I've preached it, I'll probably preach it again, and I mention it a lot, but Elijah up there on the mountaintop was like the pinnacle. When Elijah was up there with the 500 prophets of Baal, and there was that challenge to the prophets of Baal, and you can read it for yourself, I'll keep myself from going there. But he was there, he had been, before that, he had been by the brook Kidron. And then after that, he had been with the widow of Zarephath, watching the crucial water, or the crucial oil never fail, and the crucial flour. There was always enough for the next meal. It was there by the brook Kidron, he learns God's supply, and there, by, with the widow of Zarephath, he learned God's supply, God's provision, God's power. He, he saw he, her, her child got sick. He raised him from the dead. So Elijah had power. But one of the greatest things that happened was when he was up there on the Mount of God because the, the famine, the water, the uh, drought was to punish the king and to turn Israel around. And it was here in this moment when God told him to confront the prophets of Baal. And he's up there on the mountain. He said, if God be God, let him bring down fire to consume the offering. And he about made it impossible. He got the wood wet. He soaked it. He put water all around, which was a precious thing because there hadn't been any rain. Barrels of water on that altar. He had let the prophets of Baal go first. They had got up there and they had cried night and day out to Baal to the point where Elijah was just mocking them. And you got to imagine for Elijah to see this taking place and to see God vindicated and to see Everybody see what God had done. They saw for themselves that fire come down and lick up that sacrifice. God's power and Baal's failure. That was one of the greatest times for him. It's like a preacher going to a meeting and seeing 500 people get saved. For Elijah, it was going up there on that mountain and it was seeing the whole country turn around toward God. And this was the time where they could turn around toward God and put all this behind them. And he saw the rain and he watched for the rain and he kept sending his servant out to check for it. He knew it was coming. And then the rain finally came down and lifted that curse. 
In that moment, Elijah, I think, <coughs> looked out and he just saw God's power and he just saw all of Israel turning and he saw the king was standing right there when he slew the 500 prophets of Baal. It's like, this is a turnaround. Things are going to change right here. I can think of something like that. But I don't want to get political. And he reaches a point. He sees all of this. And then over there in chapter number 18, well, at the beginning of chapter number 19, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. You know, I was writing a sermon for the school. And I, I prayed hard over this, but God kind of showed it to me. I just saw Elijah, I saw King Ahab coming home. He'd seen all this take place. And I saw King Ahab, you know, and I saw him walking through the hallways and, of the castle or the palace, whatever, wherever they lived. And I saw all the, all the trappings of Baal and all the evil worship on the wall and things like that. And he's walking by and he's seen, he saw what God did. And he's walking through there and I've, I've pictured it. And it's like a kid coming home from summer camp where they got saved and they're walking back into their house. And I think Ahab's ready to turn things around. And I can see him walking up to Jezebel and he says, you know what, man, you should have seen what he did, man. God's fire came down and it licked up the altar. Those 500 prophets of yours of Baal, they, they couldn't do a thing. They couldn't get anything called. They were cutting themselves. They were bleeding. They were shouting. They were hollering. He said, but when Elijah wet that altar and that fire came down, man, you should have seen the power of God. And I can, I can see the king saying, you know, maybe we ought to rethink this Baal worship thing. You know, Israel was founded on the Lord God of heaven. Maybe we ought not be worshiping these other gods. And let me tell you something else that Elijah did. Elijah slew those 500 prophets of Baal. And I could see Jezebel not hearing anything else that Ahab said. He said, maybe we ought to rethink. He did what? Well, yeah, and you let him? Well, I mean, God's fired, and you let him. She sends out a messenger, and that messenger goes out to Elijah. And in verse number two, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, and this is verse chapter 19. So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. I think that just knocked him in the dirt. As I've told you about Monday mornings for a preacher, amen? I told you about how Brother Grady said he would fire himself every Monday morning, but by Tuesday he'd rehire himself. Let me tell you something. You could have a meeting where people get saved, where people come down, and the devil will work on you afterwards because you think about that one that didn't. You could have 10 come down, but you can see in your mind that one that was sitting over there just hanging on to it, fighting, and they didn't come down. And that one would break your heart. You still are happy for the 10, 
Most of the nation was turning toward God and turning away, but the king, the seat of power, he knew that it didn't work. He knew that there wasn't going to be a turnaround. It wasn't that he was worried about dying. He knew God would take care of him. But he felt like a failure. He felt like he'd let God down. In verse number three. Now, you remember when I was telling you, Elijah said, you're asking for a hard thing. I think Elijah remembered a lot of days by the Brook Kidron. You know, for us, it's just a couple verses. I think Elijah remembered a lot of mornings waking up at the widow Zarephath. I know God's going to provide. He's done it in the past. But what if he doesn't? I think Elijah remembered a lot of those times knowing that he was being hunted down and knowing that Jezebel was hunting down the prophets of God. It worn on him. And here it wasn't turning. It wasn't changing. Nothing he did. How could you get better than seeing the fire of God come down and lick down that altar and lick up all that sacrifice in spite of the war? How can you? And slaying 500 prophets of Baal. I mean, that's a battle won against Satan. Amen. But he gets that message and he says, nothing's changed. I failed. He doesn't get mad at God. Look what it says here, verse number three. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. That's pretty telling, isn't it? He said, I, I failed. I haven't done any better than Moses. I haven't. Moses did way better. Moses followed you to the end. You know, Moses had his time when God showed him the promised land but let him, wouldn't let him go in because he got angry, because he, he failed to do what God said exactly. He did it his own way. There are other times with David Bathsheba, there's been failings in men's lives, and there's failings in Christian lives. Let me tell you something. We're talking about men of God. We're talking about preachers, but this hits home in anyone's life. Have you always looked to the Lord for things? Are you looking to him now? Do you get discouraged? Did you reach a point where you just got discouraged and you said, you know what? I just keep failing on this. I've tried to follow you. I remember that time in summer camp. Man, it just seemed like I was so close to you. We were praying, and God, I just, your word was opening up to me, but it's all past tense, past tense. Did, had, was. There's not an is. There's not a yesterday, or there's not a today or this morning. It's all past tense. You're hanging on to something, a time when you were walking close to the Lord. Some of y'all may not know about that. It happens to some people. And Elijah was at this point under the juniper tree. And we're not going to go all into the whirlwind and the fire and the still small voice. We're not going to go into that this morning. We're going to skip right over that. Because the Lord ministered to Elijah. He didn't reject him. Elijah was rejecting himself. Elijah said, I've reached that point. I, I failed you. I'm not better than my father's. 
I've, he, he reached a point where he looked at his ministry, where he looked at his life, and he said, you know what, Lord? You put me there. I thought I gave it up my all, but I must have done something wrong because they didn't come to you. I must have failed you in some way. And he's up there under the juniper tree, and the Lord doesn't smack him. The Lord doesn't hit him. The Lord sends an angel to feed him and to minister to him. And after the, after the earthquake, after the fire, after the still small voice, because and the wind, the Lord wasn't in those. In verse number 13, and it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face, even after he heard the still small voice of God. He'd gotten past himself to where he was now hearing the voice of God, that still small voice. We, you know, we look for God. There's a lesson in that. We look for God in everything. We look for God on the billboard. We look for God going down the road. I need to get better about this sign because there are a lot of people looking for a word from the Lord. We got the letters. We look for all of that, but, you know, God's in the still small voice. Oswald Chambers talked about it. It's not in the big things that you do for the Lord. It's in those little acts of obedience. <clears throat> it's not what you do when the bands are playing, when the songs are singing. It's not what you do when, the, when everything's booming. It's what are you doing in those quiet hours? What are you doing when the next thing is just routine? When you get up in the morning and you're reading the Bible, there's no fanfare. You're just getting in God's Word. When you're praying, and it's like, I just, I have nothing great to say this morning, Lord. I have doubts here going through this, going through that. I have these things. Are you turning to the Lord, though, in that time? A lot of people don't. They just kind of give up on those little things, and they keep waiting for that big moment that draws them in. This is what Elijah realized. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. It was in the still, small voice. Now, that's the introduction. Y'all nervous yet? I messed y'all up with that, didn't I? It's not really. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him. What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, I'm left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, arise, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Skip down to verse number 18. Because one of the first things that Elijah Elijah's discouraged. He's, he stood in the gap, but he's, he feels like he's alone, like he's the only one. And there's times when you feel like that. There's times when you, when you look out and you say, nothing's changing, nothing, all of this is going on. And I only am left. 
Elijah knew that he was following the Lord. And now Elijah knew that he was doing everything the Lord said. But everybody that he saw around him was chasing after the prophets to kill him. And he felt like he was the only one left. And God, God comforts him and gives him peace. Verse number 18, he says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. This means so much more nowadays. Because as you begin to see the world turn on itself and eat itself, you're going to wonder, where's God in all of this? You're going to wonder... What's God doing in all of this? But something that you need to understand, Christian, is we look at Elijah. And I think Elisha had to learn this on his own because he asked a hard thing. He asked a double portion. God has 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. And that's just a representative number. God has many more that are faithful and that are following him. And when you look out there, there's someone that wants to be saved. There's someone that wants to know the Lord. There are people that want to follow the Lord. There are people that are tired of seeing what this world does to them. There are people that are tired of seeing what the world does to children. There are people that are tired of seeing what the world does to women, what the world does to men, what the world does to everyone. They want to know a God who loves them. There are people, no matter how many times you've heard it, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No matter how many times you've heard it, there's someone out there, that's the first time they've heard it. That's the first time that they've heard that God loves them. That's the first time that they heard why Jesus Christ died on the cross was to make a way for them to be with the Lord. Was to pay the penalty of their sin. There are other people that know it, and they've rejected it. I'll tell you, there's people out there that know the Bible better than a lot of Christians. And they will mock, and they will tear down. And I tell you what, you look out of this world, and I've, I've looked at different cults and things like that, and read books and seen, you know, and I'm just curious, how does this happen, you know? Ever since Jim Jones, I said, how does this happen? Let me tell you how it happens. They quit following the Lord and they start following a man. That's why I tell you the most important thing in your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. He is your anchor. You begin to anchor it on a man and that man will get in between you and Jesus Christ. And he will tell you, if you don't do this, you can't be saved and go to heaven. And if you don't know your Bible, if you don't know what Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. Then you think that that man holds your salvation in your hand. And that's where these cults get off. Because if they leave, they don't get to go to heaven in their mind. This is where Christianity is different. You get nervous looking around. This is where Christianity is different. True Christianity, true Christ followers, true disciples of Jesus Christ. When that man starts to get off track, when he starts to say things that don't line up, get away. Get away. He doesn't hold your salvation in his hand. Only the Lord Jesus Christ does, and he paid that penalty on the cross. 
So he tells him, yet I have me seven thousand left, 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. The thing that I want you to notice about Elijah, he reaches his point of depression, and he reaches his point where he just gives up, and he reaches his point where he says, I just, I'm all that's left. God shows him, you're not all that's left. God knows the situation of every one of those prophets, and they were being hidden in caves by one of the, another faithful follower. God knows that he has prophets that are hidden away. God knows what goes on in their life, too, just as much as he knew what was going on in Elijah's life under that juniper tree. Isn't that comforting to know? When you pray for somebody, it matters. Over in Acts chapter number, what was it? Acts chapter number 12, they're praying for Peter while he's in prison. They're over there praying, and they're they're just asking the Lord, please, some of them asking for him to be released, some of them asking, I don't know what they were asking, but they're in there, and they're praying. There's a prayer meeting going on. They got the door locked, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. This young girl goes to the door, and she answers the door, and they're still praying going on. You ever been around a bunch of preachers praying or a bunch of people praying? Sometimes they all pray at one time. It gets a little confusing. But, man, I tell you what, you just feel the power of God sometimes. Some people pray, and you can just feel the power of God. I, that's what I imagine. I mean, because in the book of Acts, when they were praying, the earth shook. <laughs> there, was, there was movement. But here, this is Acts chapter number 12, not Acts chapter number 2. They've been Christians a little longer now. And they're all in there, and they're all praying, and they're saying, Lord, please help him, Lord, because he's about to get his head chopped off, just like James did. There's a knock at the door, and they send that young woman to the door to answer it, and they keep on praying. And they're going to be up all night. She gets to the door, and she opens it, and there's Peter. And in her mind, there's no way. There's no way he got out. This must be his ghost. They've already killed him. I messed that up a little bit because she was the one that got excited. She was so excited she shut the door, left him standing outside. In my mind's eye, I see Peter out there. As he's waiting, and she goes inside. Peter's at the door. They're all praying, and they stop. And they're like, what? No, he's in prison. Ain't no way he got out. He was between four quaternions of soldiers all night. There's no way he got out. He was chained up. He's at the door. It must be his ghost. They must have killed him already. He's at the door. Well, why didn't you let him in? I don't know. (laughs) They go to the door and there's Peter. What a picture of us. We're praying for somebody. We're praying for somebody to be healed. We're praying for somebody to be saved. We're praying for somebody to be helped. And then when it happens, it's like, did it really happen? Well, when you pray with all your power. Brethren, we have met worship. Amen. You pray with all your power. You got to believe God. And I know what we say, you know, it's God's will. God's going to do what he wants. It may be their time. We don't know. God, I'm asking you to heal them. I'm asking you to intervene. 
I'm asking you to work in this situation. God, I'm asking you to save them. It's when we give up that we leave Peter outside the door. It's when you quit praying for somebody. And God said, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed to need a bell, Elijah. And he didn't stop there. He gave him a commission. God wasn't done with him. So look what he said, and I'll try to, I'll try to kind of button this up a little bit, all right? But I, I want you to remember, he, said, he told Elisha, you ask a hard thing. He just got out from under the juniper tree. He just got back from being depressed. He was ready to quit. He said, I'm no better than my father's. He said, I'm all alone. And God said, yeah, you're right, Elijah, you're done. No, God's a God of second chances. He says, and the Lord said unto him, verse 15, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. Uh Uh-oh. Ahab's the king of Israel. Ahab and Jezebel. You know what happened? Ahab had a chance to turn around. Jezebel had a chance to turn around. I know I made it up, but I see Ahab in there. I think we need to rethink this Baal worship. I know I made it up. I want y'all to remember that. But Jezebel rejected the whole idea, and she sent someone. I'm going to kill you, Elijah. They rejected God. They rejected what what God, the, the sign that God gave them. Their opportunity to turn around was then, but they refused it. And God tells him, I want you to go and anoint Jehu king over Israel. He was done with him. Ahab is done at that moment. Toast is cooked, and it's just burning from then on. He just don't know it. But Elijah says, well, he doesn't say anything. But imagine what that is for Elijah. All those years of drought. All that effort up on the mount. All those prayers that took place because he loved Israel, because he loved the people of Israel, because he wanted to see them turn to God. And I think he looked back and he said, where's the Lord God of David? And he wanted to see Israel in its glory again. And he was praying for them, but they're worshiping Baal. They're throwing down the altars. You know how that is? You you saw God worshiped in a place and you walk by and they're worshiping something else. They've turned away. They've rejected the God that delivered them out of Egypt. The God that delivered them through the wilderness. The God that brought them up as a nation. And through Solomon, they were one of the mightiest nations on the earth, if not the mightiest. Solomon was the greatest king on earth. And now... There's all these signs of bell worship. There's these altars built up to other gods. I imagine they've tainted the temple. They've just, they've worshiped in other places. They've got nothing to do with God. And Elijah walks through the countryside and sees all the signs of it. They pass their children through the fire, offered them up to Moloch. And here God tells him, there's going to be a change of leadership here. I'm done with Ahab. That's what Elijah hears 
when he tells him to go anoint Jehu king over Israel. God's still in control. Let me tell you something, Christian. You may have gotten discouraged. You may, you may think, you know, you may see everything that goes bad around you and say, man, how's this going to work? I don't know. It may be that there's just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil for the next meal. God's in control. You may see the world just turn downward, 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 and inspire. You say, man, you're real encouraging, preacher. You're supposed to be positive. I am positive because God's in control. Whatever you see going on, God's in control. And Elijah sees this. There's a change of leadership. There's some change that's going to take place. So God encourages him there. And then verse number 17. Well, verse number 16. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abelamaholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So right here, God's telling him, I want you to go anoint Elisha. And we'll go just a little bit. Verse number 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Elisha isn't a poor man. To have oxen it's like having a great big John Deere combine to do the work. It's a great big John Deere tractor or something. When you have, but to have 12 of them. And he goes by and he throws his mantle on him and he gets the call of God in his life right there. That's how he understood it when Elijah put that mantle over him. Elisha knew that God had called him. He knew God's man. He knew the prophet. And he was being called to follow God. You know, Elijah doesn't encourage him at all. You know, there's a story, Dr. Peacock. Well, I don't know if it is Dr. Peacock. It doesn't matter. But you know, when you go to a preacher, a good preacher, and you say, I I think God's called me to preach. And there was an old preacher, and a preacher goes to him, a young preacher goes to him, and he says, I think God's calling me to do this. The old preacher just keeps eating. He said, did you hear me? He said, yeah, I heard you. Can you pass the salt? He's wanting some wisdom out of the old preacher. But I think the old preacher knew it's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to get in the way. If God calls you to do something, it's your choice. Let me tell you something from experience. If you don't do what Elijah did next, I know not everybody's called to preach, but there's sometimes God calls you to do something. God may call you just to speak a word to somebody. I remember my, my stepdad telling me the story when he first got saved. You know, He was close to the Lord. He's on his way home. He sees a man on the porch, and he feels the Lord telling him, tell him, my, tell him I still love him. Well, that's weird. I don't even know this guy. And, uh, but he, he listened. He stops and he goes and tells the man, he said, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you he still loves you. 
That man broke down in tears because he was looking for a word from the Lord. It's just those little things of obedience. So God may call you to do something. If you don't do what Elijah did next, Elisha did next, you might be missing out. You might be missing out on that double portion. You might be missing out on seeing God work in your life. So verse 20, verse 19, he cast his mantle upon him in verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. He left his oxen right where they were in the field. And he said unto him, go back again, for what have I done to thee? Please pass the salt. And he says, Verse 21, and he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. And he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. You know what he did? He let go of his old life. There's a story told about the Romans when they, I can't remember the exact battle, but they, the salesmen tell the story. You know, they, they get over on the shores. Maybe it was Troy. Maybe it was the Trojan War. I don't know. But they get over there on the shores. They've taken the galleys over there. And then the general burned all the boats. The only way out was forward. We like to hang on to the boats. We like to hang on to the oxen. Well, let me tell you something. If God's called you to do something, and I'm sad to say I know this from experience. I know this from hard experience. Because I've been hard-headed. You hang on to things. You don't, you don't slay the oxen. Get rid of the threshing instruments. Get rid of those other instruments. You don't, you don't let go of your old life. It's always going to be there to haunt you. It's always going to be there to set you back. The biggest thing, the biggest takeaways on this Elijah up under that juniper tree. He thought he was rejected. He rejected himself, but God didn't reject him. He knew about that time under the juniper tree. He might have mentioned a time or two to Elisha. Elisha followed him. If you look over there, I don't know where it is because I ain't been following these. Second Kings chapter 9, verse 4 maybe. But it's when King Jehu <coughs> and the other king, I think it's Jehu, Jehoram, where they call Elisha to him. And the one king says, is there not a prophet of God? And the way they know Elisha, they don't know him by as being a great prophet of God. He says there is Elisha who poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was known by his service, not by his miracles. And at the end of Elisha's life, he did get a double portion. He did double the miracles, the same miracles that Elijah did, to the point where only one person had been resurrected during his lifetime, but when they when they uncovered his bones, threw a dead man on him, 
the dead man came back alive. That's just a fun fact. You may think God's done with you. You may think that you failed God. But I bet you he's got some more work for you. And I bet you he's got something else to do for you, for you to do. You know how I know? Because you're still here. He ain't done. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you died right now, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God of our fathers? Where is the God of Moody? Where is the God of Billy Sunday? Where is the God of Billy Graham? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God that sent his son to die on the cross, and it's the same spirit that resurrected his son that he offers to you. It's through a gift, the gift of his son dying on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody knows that verse. But have you accepted that verse as we stand?